Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Welcome to The Parent Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And I'm Cathy Weston. We are talking tonight all about the topic of happiness. How do we know our children are happy? What does it mean? Do we always want our children to feel happy? Is that the only thing that's going to make them flourish? Or is there actually a place for feelings such as sadness and loss? Are we as parents afraid of our children not coping with sort of difficult feelings? And here to help us answer those questions this evening, we'll be talking to Julie Johnson, who is a child and adolescent systemic psychotherapist and parent coach who she's also the leading provider of lots of workshops uh, for parents in London and we'll also be speaking to Jane King who is sitting beside me right now who's the pastoral leader at Fleetville Infant School in St Albans. Now first up we're going to talk to Julie Johnson. Now as Cathy mentioned, she's a child and ad- adolescent systemic psychotherapist. That's the first question I've got for her. Julie, what? what's a systemic psychotherapist? <laughs> Brilliant question. The, uh, the a systemic psychotherapist is someone who really works with children, adolescents and families. So what I recognise is children aren't isolated individuals. They're part of a group, whether it be mum, dad, family, school, community whatever and actually when i'm working with children i'm always aware of the fact they're part of a bigger picture um whereas some psychotherapists which is just another way of working may work with only a child individually whereas i maybe work with a child with mum with dad with siblings depending on what's right in the situation so taking account of the systems of which they live in and so you're you're kind of working with every every kind of significant relationship in relation to children Absolutely. Um, I'm based in a number of schools in London as a consultant, but I have a private practice and I work with children. Um, I have worked with children as young as two, three, four, five, but a lot of my children range from sort of seven up to 18-year-olds and then some young adults and couples and, and individuals. So quite a broad range of issues that they may be dealing with, but quite a lot of school family type issues and well-being issues. So... Um we played happy and I know you have can I say mixed feelings about the word happiness? Yeah I think that's a very good I think because the way we we see it and we've become obsessed by it and maybe we don't fully understand what this word means I think probably is why I've got mixed feelings about it um, so actually in the, in, if you look in the dictionary or if you look about what people call happiness it's, it's actually a, a sort of mental and physical emotional range of feelings positive feelings which can be from quite mild to quite intense um and there's a lot of research now which is really interesting in the area of happiness and well-being and positive psychology and people like rick hansen and um, barbara friedrichson talk about what really is important is cultivating um positive emotions whilst able to be with the more difficult ones um, so it's not the absence of negative emotions or difficult emotions, um, but it's the cultivating of positive ones and the ability of appreciating and valuing a range of emotions, probably. And uh, Julie, would you agree that, you know, for a lot of adults, I mean, happiness seems like 
is something, you know, that's quite far off often on a daily basis. And yet we still expect our children to feel happy constantly. And if they are, we're, we aren't, we're in a state of panic. Yeah, I think that's incredibly wise and insightful reflection. And, and I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've been in a great experiment over the last probably 20, 30 years about the importance of emotions, recognising, valuing them, encouraging children to talk about them, um, which is all good. But we've become focused on happiness, I think. And, and obviously, um, Seligman wrote the book on, on happiness, um, but he actually, he was concerned himself that, that it was misunderstood, that you were reaching for this incredible sort of experience, whereas actually what we need is to appreciate emotions that come and go and very definitely to cultivate positive ones. Um, but actually what's interesting is to actually um, be able to be with and manage a range of emotions. And when I talk to children about emotions, one of the things I actually ask them is, why do you think we have them? Um, and children sometimes look very quizzically at me. In fact, adults often do. And say, gosh, I've never thought about that. And then we talk about, well, maybe they're messengers or they're trying to help us. Or one child said, well, maybe I wouldn't be human if I didn't have them. Um, and then we talk about, well, a range of emotions. We might brainstorm different emotions and anger, sadness, joy, happiness, excitement. And then I'll ask them to think about which ones they like and don't like and they'll clearly circle all the ones they feel are nice. And I'll say, I'm wondering if you need the others, though. And then they usually go, do you know, yeah, I think I do. I need, do I need sometimes to be angry or sad? And we'll maybe say, well, if a friend was being bullied, will you be angry? Well, yeah, I would be. And what would the anger make you do? Well, I would go and tell a teacher, or I'd tell the person to leave my friend alone. Or if you were studying for an exam, would you be a bit anxious? And would the anxiety, a bit of it, help you study and focus, but too much would make you panicky? Well, yeah, so we try and help them to realize that both, you know, nice feelings, so-called, and, and not so nice feelings actually have a part to play, like a tapestry, and the tapestry makes up the whole picture. That makes a huge amount of sense. Um, and when I spoke to you the, the other day, Julie, about this, I mean, I was kind of under the impression that happiness is what we all strive for, yeah. like like so many other people. And I hadn't thought through exactly what you're saying, that obviously there's place for other feelings and they're, you know, like like loss and and even death. I mean, yeah. it, it, it it's a very sad thing to happen, but it's it's kind of a necessary part of the process, isn't it? Oh, completely. And and I yeah, I think in the West we have a problem about this. We don't like talking about death very well. I mean, I've worked in places like Uganda and Sri Lanka and I've lived in Africa and those cultures are much better at acknowledging this tapestry and acknowledging that life is part of the circle which leads to death and, and death is part of it. And, and funnily enough, I was talking to a group of parents last week um, about death and about loss and bereavement and I was saying about how important loss was and how important it was to acknowledge loss when, when something like that has happened um, and how, you know, for many children their first experience of loss is an animal um, and then maybe grandparents. I mean, sometimes obviously for some it's a parent or a sibling or a friend. Um, but actually enabling our children to have that experience. So we did something quite odd as parents. Um, and my husband and I are both psychotherapists, so my children are probably completely traumatized. 
And if either of them listening, can I just apologise on behalf of your father and I? But we actually bought our children pets, one to help them learn the responsibility of pets and to care for them, to have fun with them and everything, but also maybe slightly bizarrely to experience death. Um, and obviously anyone who knows, who's had a hamster knows that hamsters don't last very long and hamsters are one of the pets that we had when our children were growing up and they died and our children had to grieve and bury them and talk about them and feel that sadness and when I shared that with a friend they were mortified and said how could you do that to your children and they said that they actually had not bought their children pets so they did not mm. have to suffer the pain of loss And do you think that that kind of level of protection is symptomatic of our society at the moment? I mean, like when our parents were growing up, I doubt their parents were protecting them from every little, you know, possible (laughs) negative emotion. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, and obviously the things that weren't good then either, um, maybe we we threw our kids into too many difficult situations uh, and that's why bullying and things like that maybe weren't dealt with very well and it was like stiff stiff upper lip and you know get on with it but actually I do think we're overprotective of our children um, and I think our children need to be allowed the experience of sadness and I actually it's a very odd thing to say I think sadness is a gift because you can't experience joy completely or happiness without the experience of sadness. Um, and I think if you've lost somebody or care about somebody, it would be odd not to be sad. And children understand that. And I actually had a father who welled up in my seminar last week and suddenly said, Julie, I've been taken back to the loss of a friend and not being allowed to go to the funeral because I was too young. And I'm angry. I'm sitting here feeling anger now. It's very brave man anger about that sense of loss i felt and the sense of not being allowed to be at the funeral um because i know my parents were trying to protect me but actually i wanted to say goodbye to this friend it must be so confusing for a child to lose that part of the process i mean Mm. i mean i know funerals are very sad occasions but it like you say it's part of the circle of life but surely the hesitation i think from a parent perspective is as adults, we don't know. I think parents hesitate to show their own emotions and how they're working mm. through them in front of their children when actually, as you've suggested, by modelling your own resilience, saying, I am sad, but I'm going to be okay. Yeah. That's how they learn. And I think parents are afraid to cry in front of their children or be upset mm. or say, I've had a terrible, you know, I'm very, very sad yeah. because someone's ill because they don't know how to handle that particular mm. conversation. I think you're absolutely right, and in fact, you've reminded me of a very brave couple that I knew whose uh, son, his best friend had cancer, and his, their son was seven, and they allowed their son to not only know and be with this friend all through his last year of life, visiting him in, at home, then in the hospital, then in the hospice, and he was only nine when this little boy eventually died, and I was supporting them as a family, and I was so impressed and they protect him for things he needs to be protected from, but they didn't overprotect him. And he's, he's at the school, one of the schools I work at, and I think he says it was a rich experience, if a difficult one. And he came to appreciate friendship and life in greater abundance. And at times it was difficult, and he had to be held in that difficulty. But you're right, I think we're often afraid of pain, uh, or any, uh, expressing strong emotions in front of our children. Um, that children need to see 
those emotions, but obviously appropriately, and not to be too frightened by them, to be held with them, if that makes sense. Um, and even slightly aside, I mean, I remember as a parent losing my temper once and slamming some plates down on the table and my children looking up at me and, and I said, I'm really sorry, I am angry. Um, I am angry about what just happened with you two there and I apologise for breaking the plates. Um, and then they just, but we all burst out laughing and I said, Mummy clearly was angry, wasn't she? And then we talked about the anger and my feelings about it. Um, and we then laughed about it afterwards and we still talk about the time when mummy broke the plates i think i think a, a scenario that often as well crops up is sort of marital conflict or mm. you know conflict between mums and dads and yeah that's a great example of parents shielding their children desperately from their own feelings yeah um and I suppose there must be lots of parents listening, sort of going through a situation like that, wondering, well, does this apply to a sort of a, a, a situation like that doesn't involve death, but a change in circumstance? You know, is it the right thing to say, mummy's not happy with daddy or daddy's not happy with mummy? And, you know, what would you advise, you know, around a scenario like that? Yeah, gosh, I mean, that is actually quite a tricky one. Um, I think because as parents, we need to support each other. And children need security. That's a core human need. So I think if parents are constantly criticising each other or saying, I'm not happy with mummy or daddy, then that becomes difficult. But if on the occasional basis, when clearly a child can see something's happening, parents saying, yes, as you can see, mummy and daddy have had a row or an argument, um, and this is something that we're talking through and working out, and this takes a lot of maturity and emotional maturity. Um, Or if they argument, is more volatile but that should not be too often um but if you then explain yourself and talk about why you've been as you are i think children can handle that within reason so a a nice sort of tip to take away two things i'm taking away anyway is that i'm imagining a sort of a rainbow of spectrum of feelings that we should be let our children experience not too much of everything but you know a little bit of bits and pieces yeah. um, and not to be afraid of those emotions but also to to just explain through logically how we're feeling mm. I'm feeling disappointed I'm feeling sad I'm feeling this but I'm going to be okay at the end of it yeah so you're giving concrete information and helping them to to understand that and knowing that it can change be different um, and actually so one sort of a top tip to think about is one of the key things they found is that um, at the end of the day, for a child to reflect on the day and think maybe of, of something, what I tell parents to do is get your child to think of something sad, mad and glad that they felt today. But to remember the last one is a glad one. And the evidence is that if a child sits and thinks about something, even something really little, like a smile someone gave them or a lovely experience or something they noticed, and, and just be with that experience of pleasure um, and remembering and almost to drift off to sleep with it, that cultivates well-being and positive emotions. But also maybe for us as parents to do that as well, cultivating positive emotions by just being with them um, rather than sort of interpreting them or analysing them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely, Julie. And I, I wanted to ask your advice. What mm. about friendships? You know, what about if your child has had, you know, a couple of friendships that haven't flourished and how, how do you how do you kind of stop your child from building up walls or, or stopping going forward with friendships because they've been burned or hurt or yeah. whatever yeah 
I think that I, you know, I come across this a lot in schools I work in, girls and boys coming to me about friendship issues. And I think is that several things here is that friendships flux and wane, especially girls, not so much boys in my experience. Um, and at helping a child to talk about maybe what's happening in their friendship and um, but not trying to rescue them or put it all right because in my experience what happens is children go home from school talk to mum and dad or upset about something and mum and dad start rescuing and start trying to make it right um, and maybe sometimes friendships do come to an end um, and maybe they need to maybe friendships go through 24 hours of difficulty and many parents what they do is the child shares with them always a bit upset when they get in from school or the car and then a parent overreacts and tries to fix it and all the child is doing is just chatting about it it's a bit upset and wants empathy um and then just needs time for it to settle down the mum or dad's got all upset and all involved and then the next day the children are fine um but in some other circumstances it's it's actually that the friendship is difficult and sometimes the parents need to help the child talk about what is maybe something they'd like to do about it. They want to talk to their friends, they want to involve a class teacher if it's getting an ongoing problem, or do they just want to see what happens and maybe try some strategies with the friend, depending on what the issues are. Um, but I think the key thing I'd say is not to rescue our children, to help the children sort their own problems out, intervene when they really need it, but also ask them what they want. And also sometimes to work with the school and class teacher, because sometimes they have a bigger picture than we have of what's going on in friendships um but friendships are really important aren't they for all of us and for children particularly absolutely i love that don't rescue children that's really solid advice you know let they you have to let them go through it to a certain yeah. extent and i think as you were saying that julie you know we're, we're it's our job isn't it to give them a toolbox that's what i had an image in my mind and we're not telling them which tools to pick they have to find out themselves don't they they have that's to come up lovely. with a solution that's, themselves. that's one of the images i use is backpacks and toolboxes uh for mums and dads and children um, we're equipping them for life Okay, well, I think it's a perfect opportunity to bring in our second guest, who's sat very patiently there, Mrs. King from um, Fleetville Infant School. Um, uh, you're a teacher for you've been a teacher there and also the head of pastoral care at Fleetville Infants. Yeah, so you've been right. listening uh, to our conversation there. We've we've come on to school there. We've just mentioned school friendships. Would you agree with a lot of what Julie has said there? Absolutely. It, it all rings a very very loud, very clear bell with uh, everything that we experience in school and how we would approach feelings. One of the things we talk about is how important it is to um, develop the children's emotional literacy and so they can understand their feelings, so they can recognise their feelings, that there is no such thing as a bad feeling. And we acknowledge, it's so important to acknowledge the children's feelings, not dismiss any of them. However, whatever the trigger is, you know, some of those triggers would seem very insignificant to an adult and sometimes they do to the parents. Um, but they're really big in these small people's lives and um, we love to talk about them and give them the opportunity to 
let us listen, really. Listening is very, very important. And presumably as well, listening, you know, you must spend a lot of time observing children. What would you say? I think a lot of parents are interested in how you identify when a child is unhappy, because it's not always apparent. But mm. you must have seen so many unhappy children, uh, you know, or happy children. You must know the sort of, st what are the things that you would look for, Jane? Well, one of the key things is listening to the people who know the children. So um, if a parent comes in, the p parents know their children better than anybody else without any question. Um, and so if a parent comes to you, we would always encourage them to come to us in the school. Um, you know, obviously listen to them, see what they have to say. Uh, there is a lot of observation that goes on. So one of my roles as the pastoral leader is to move around the school, not only observing the children who've already been identified but I sort of not I don't look but I hover around in the dining room at lunch times outside um, in the those sort of flashpoint times of the day where transitions happen because we know that they're they're tricky for a lot of children um, at the moment obviously it's the beginning of a new year and a lot of children are new to school so the places where the newest children are, I'll be there. Um, I'll be talking to all the staff, so the teachers, the teaching assistants, the early years practitioners, the people in the office, just finding out, you know, if anybody's noticed anything at all. The dinner ladies are a really great source of information as well because the children who appear okay in the classroom sometimes freak out when they're in the dining hall for example mm. different environments and moving Absolutely. between them and w i think everyone at the moment because it's back to school time we've all seen poor children crying and not wanting to go into school because they've realized if it's their first time in school they have to, have to actually go back every single day so what would you both say to those parents who are struggling at the moment with getting their little one into the school door and if maybe their little one's saying they don't enjoy it or they don't want to go back to secondary school tomorrow uh, Julie what would you uh, Jane what would you say um well first of all I'd say I've been there myself and uh, I know <laughs> I know how painful it is um it it nine times out of ten in fact sort of 99 times out of 100 the moment the parent has disappeared they'll forget and they get on with life and things are, are fine um the important thing is to keep the avenues of communication open so um we will always if a child has been particularly distraught or tearful we will always call the parent and i would say to the parents don't worry about calling in and saying has he settled or is she okay now um there's no no teacher will be uh, worried or upset about that we would rather you kept the communication open um try and talk a little bit about what the day is going to entail find out as much as you can one of the key things with particularly with new children is to try and sort of build some networks they don't have to be best friends but you know get a few play dates going or go to the park and hang around with the other new mums get to know them um, so that it becomes part of your network and would both of you agree Julie we'd like to bring you in here mm. to talk about sort of parental anxiety when children go to school because I'm sure I'm not the only mummy who on the first day of school feels ill with anxiety <laughs> um, nobody really knows why but I think mothers feel really really anxious yeah I definitely think uh, some mums definitely do and I suppose it's because parents want the best for their children and again going back to what we started with is that we want our children to enjoy school, enjoy life and to be happy 
And I think, therefore, we can therefore get ourselves anxious about are they going to be okay and what happens if they're not. And actually, we're actually doing something in, the, in one of the areas I work in called mindfulness. We're doing mental time travel. We're worrying about what's going to happen. We're sort of almost going to be catastrophizing, creating a future that we actually don't know what's going to happen. Um, and actually, rather than maybe enjoying the moment of being with our child as we're saying goodbye at the gate, we're actually got this sort of incredible story going on in our mind <laughs> and getting ourselves all uptight and stressed and actually then missing that lovely moment of maybe saying goodbye and then transferring our feelings to the child. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I would just do some relaxation, actually. <laughs> it's it's funny that you say that about the anxiety in parents because yeah. my daughter just started school and oh. it's a very slow process. It's mornings for the first week and then lunchtime. And we've actually realised, or we think, actually, it's the school getting the mothers and fathers ready, that it's not 100% about the children, that we... <laughs> I think I wonder if part of it is to get us prepared because I think we're worse than the children. Yeah. You know, we, I suppose, understand the implications of what they're going through way more than they do. Yeah. So nice, slow, steady start gets yeah. us all, keeps everybody nice and calm. Yeah. And maybe having something special like a, a little special breakfast on that first morning, um, you know, the first day of school breakfast, without, you know, not, not making a big song and dance of it, but little rituals that make it, you know, maybe what's the favourite thing that everybody would like on that first day back at school and maybe a, the same thing at tea time. Not a huge fandango, but just something, because children love rituals and when they think of maybe the first day of term and they know that, oh, that, that's what we do on the first day of term or, or even for the parent, oh, yeah, that's what we do, uh, or even the first day afterwards. I think little rituals are lovely for children and sort of mark journeys and times in their lives. Um, and actually helpful for mums and dads too because it gives them something to hook onto to help them with the process of that day or that time. And just a tip to add in, that this is on behalf of all children on planet Earth. I'm going to ask this of parents. Um, I do a lot of work with children. I ask them what they think about the question at the end of the school day. How was your day and what did you do? And a lot of children say to me, they hate that question. I know, they hate and, it. <laughs> and then we go to them, well, because they say to us, fine and stuff, and then we, we get upset because they're not talking to us. Then, then they think, we think we're not sort of engaging with them. But what children tell me is that majority of them are, are exhausted at the end of the school day. Some of them are introverts and actually just want to kick back in the car and chill out and maybe mum and dad, you just chat away. And one mother said to me that she chatted away until the child lost the will to live and then started talking to her to shut mum up. I mean, which, what adult wants... I, sometimes I try and say to my husband, if he comes to me, saying, what, what did you, you know, I, I, I sort of say, what did you do today? Who did you sit beside? What did you eat for lunch? And he goes, oh my God. I said, well, don't ask him those questions. Yeah. Nobody wants to be bombarded with questions. Anyway, listen, Julie, we're going to have to let you go, which okay. is very sad because we've enjoyed your conversation so much. And we're going to have thank Jane you. stay on here in the studio. So thank you so Great. much for joining us. A pleasure. Hopefully see you again yeah. on The Parents Show. Take care. Thanks so All much. All the best. Bye. Bye. Now, Jane, you're not quite off the hook yet. <laughs> so tell us, um, can I mean, if a child, if a parent thinks that there's something amiss, is there is there any kind of an issue that's too small? At what point do you say, you know, don't mention it to the teachers, or is there is there nothing that's too small? I would say if something's worrying you then you need to talk to somebody about it because the worst thing in the world is if you sit on it and let it build up uh, and it, it'll cause you anxiety and 
surprise surprise the child will pick up on that anxiety so the most important thing is really um, in it, talk about it at home um, talk about it with your partner talk about it with the child but you know try not to make a big issue out of it um, but I would go to the class teacher or uh, and or the TA um, or EYP first of all um, and if you know there's the chaotic ti uh, morning times at school so if it's something that you think you can easily write down in a note uh, in a little short letter that's a really helpful thing to do because that way the staff can look at it they can have a think about what that issue is and nine times out of ten they'll be able to put your mind at rest because they'll say you know I've sorted this issue out I, I have a really good example the other day a child uh, was really really looking quite worried and we weren't really sure what it was so a little bit of um, very quiet uh, friendly questioning from the teaching assistant um, revealed that this little girl was really worried about going to the toilets because they'd installed these new hand dryers and they were really really loud um and all it took was walking up to the toilets with her and a friend and uh having a bit of fun making it into you know a more of a joke showing her that it was really manageable and nothing to be frightened of and that was sorted out and sometimes it is that easy but yes i would definitely say go to somebody sooner rather than later and do not ever feel that it's too trivial too small your child is very very important fantastic and um, one last question it's it's great to get this opportunity to get an insight into how teachers are are responding on so many levels and it's so impressive to hear the processes that you're going through but what about lunchtime or playtime because i know that's when things can go quite badly wrong how how do schools cope with those kind of flashpoints well lunch times and play times uh, they are you're absolutely right they they are very tricky times to manage and um, there are a lot of children often in a fairly small space doing a lot of moving around toing and froing we have to get you know a, a large number of children fed and watered and also uh, it's a really important social time for them so we have various staff involved so we've got to the, the the dinner ladies and the um midday supervisors um one of the most important things is having consistent school rules if you like so having your behavior policy really transparent and consistent across the whole school having systems in place um and you know we have people that go around and look out for the children that aren't eating the lunch or look a bit unhappy so the most important thing is interaction with the children really that's fantastic and in the playground as well absolutely yeah uh, yes I, I was covering the playground oh, and the dining room in my, in my head there yes brilliant that's now, great Jane, julie mentioned that girls she felt often had more of those kinds of issues you know around friendships or feeling perhaps anxious at school is that something you would agree with in your experience uh, what she said was very familiar. The relationships um, between girls and the friendships uh, do often cause problems, but I wouldn't say that it was, you know, exclusive. It's just a little bit different, really, yeah, yeah. with the boys. Um, uh, I mean, all the research and anybody who's observed boys will know that they are, they do tend to be more physical. They learn through physical touch, through actually doing things, whereas girls tend to as a rule and i'm making the normal rush generalization they tend to talk 
and uh, reason and chat mm-hmm. um, and therefore they will come up with the language and the discussions and they will investigate and try out all the nasty little niggly things they mm-hmm. can say to each other so mm-hmm. um we do have to work quite hard on that but we tend to do it as a whole you know I, I, as as you know it's an infant school that i am in so that setting um, means that they're all really really early days of learning about relationships um and we do a lot of work on that we do circle times and we mm-hmm. do um one of the situations that i or one of the techniques that i might use is is to use what if scenarios so we that's something i'd also pass on to parents it's a really good way of preparing your child for you know new school what if you feel unhappy at lunchtime what will you do or what if Mm -hmm. somebody takes your coat by accident which links to that toolkit because they don't know what they need to have in the toolkit Lydia what are you going to take away from tonight I've I've written a few notes oh have you now (laughs) I've written a few notes as well (laughs) my notes are shorter than yours I'd say Um, the the ones uh, the two I loved were what ifs writing Mrs. Uh, Jane King was saying about do the what ifs yeah, I, I'm giving your lose child sort of an idea of what might come up, what yeah. might happen, how you might cope with it. I love that because mm. I, I could I could actually see myself not messing that up too much. Yeah. It's simple, easy and don't rescue children. Like, yeah, stop because, rescuing them. Yeah, stop jumping in ahead of the game. Stop overprotecting, you know. I think they're the two most valuable things yeah. that I, I got. I think I took, um, I love the phrase that Julie, Julie used, cultivating positive emotions instead of using the word happiness. And I like her idea of that spectrum of feelings that children need to experience. That we, I think our temptation is to fix them and jump in and rescue them, but that is not necessarily the best thing for them. And I think that's what we need to sort of develop, I suppose, strengthen our own resilience so that we can... Stop being busybodies. Yeah, stop being nosy, overprotective busybodies. Yeah. Mrs. King here from <laughs> Fleetville is looking at me and laughing. I'm just thinking that, you know, what we really want is is to be open and honest and communicate with each other and we want to build relationships with parents so we want a certain amount of you know nosy busybodiness because we want to get to know you and we want to get to know your children so that we can all do the best for each other really and i think working in alignment with well we can't we're not all lucky enough to have children at your school but working in alignment with teachers is very important isn't I, it yeah absolutely i think you know it, it times have changed a lot since we were all at school even more so since I was at school and uh, the way in which we we cherish the relationships between the parent and the school is is really strong now and, it, and it, it's getting stronger and uh, we need to work on both sides to make that yeah. it work brilliant well done Fleetville right and thank you to our guests this evening thanks a million for joining us all the best tune in next week bye bye Neves solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves solicitors, your complete legal solution.